Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you have come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. The Joint Action Podcast was launched in April 2019 during the COVID-19 pandemic. Since then, we have grown our listener base to an international audience. We aim to bring evidence-based and up-to-date knowledge to our listeners by interviewing the world's experts in osteoarthritis. For those who don't already know me, my name is Vicky, and I'm a physiotherapist, researcher, and PhD student. I also help to produce and edit the Joint Action Podcast. On this very special episode of Joint Action, we'll be chatting to David to learn more about his story and also answer some of our listener questions. Professor David Hunter is a rheumatology clinician researcher whose main research focus has been clinical and translational research in osteoarthritis. He is the Florence and Cope Chair of Rheumatology and Professor of Medicine at the University of Sydney and the Royal North Shore Hospital. He is ranked as the world's leading expert in osteoarthritis on Expertscape.com since 2014. Dr. Hunter has over 500 peer-reviewed publications in international journals, numerous book chapters, and is the section editor for up-to-date osteoarthritis. He has co-authored a number of books, including books on self-management strategies for the lay public. Welcome to the show, David. Vicki, thank you so much, and thank you for doing this. So before we get into our listener questions for today, I just want the listeners to know you a little bit better. So we'll start off with some introductory questions. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up, 
what interests you had as a kid. Yeah, and just so everybody knows that this isn't just self-aggrandizement, this was a request from multiple people to talk a little bit more about myself. And Vicky's been kind enough to uh, belabor the point, and so we're going to have that conversation today. So I, I was lucky enough to be born in the beautiful country of New Zealand in a place called Whangarei up in the North Island. At a very young age, I migrated to Australia. Um, and specifically to initially a little town on the south coast of New South Wales called Kayama and then to a small village called Jamboree, which had a population of about 200 people. And I'm one of four kids. My dad was a veterinarian. My mum was a geography teacher. And we were lucky enough to grow up on a dairy farm in that little village. And that was my first summer job, was basically giving dad six weeks off from milking the cows um, and it led to some strange diurnal patterns that I still persist to this day. But as a kid, I used to play a lot of soccer, what some people around the world might call football. I did a lot of triathlons. I used to spend a lot of time outdoors, both on the farm, but also in nature. Spent a lot of time also at the beach, particularly doing a sport in Australia called surf lifesaving. So a lot of uh, board paddling, swimming, surfing, um, and also used to enjoy doing a lot of reading. Very cool. Been a little while since I've been able to enjoy all of those activities quite so frequently, but uh, still love to do it when I can. So now we're going to move on to one of my favorite questions, but if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? It's um, Something I always love to ask listeners, but actually when I thought about it myself, it was, um, it was, it's actually quite a challenge. So the words I came up with were restless, inquisitive, stoic, jesuitical, and determined. Um, and obviously that's how I see myself, but I'm sure others see me as very different. All very good words. So what motivated you to get into medicine and why did you focus on osteoarthritis? Yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of people when they go into medicine have pretty well-formed perspectives as to why they did it. And I think for me, the main reason I did it was, and it might sound a little bit trite, but I truly just wanted to be able to help people in the best way I could. I was really, really lucky growing up that I was fortunate to be exposed to, you know, wonderful role models and teachers. You know, in, in primary school, I remember a particular teacher, Mrs. LaRue, who was just amazing, a science teacher in high school, Mr. Faulkner. Dad was obviously a vet. and in my teenage years, started to do a lot more embryo transfers in cows, and I got really quite engaged and involved and interested in helping Dad out with that. And at that point, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian, but Dad discouraged me and said it's a, a lot nicer if you can actually talk to people as opposed to being unable to talk to animals. So that's why I became a doctor as opposed to a vet. But I guess the focus on osteoarthritis is obviously more recent than my teenage years and in part evolves from my relationship with my grandmother who I was incredibly close to as a kid. She was an amazing lady, a nurse by background, but someone who was, um, you know, quite irreverent, uh, very disrespectful of authority, 
um, and someone who I spent an incredible amount of time with. She grew up on the land, had a had a lovely uh, nature and really loved being outdoors. And we spent a lot of time uh, both walking around the farm, but also playing bad card games. And then as a young adult, I was traveling overseas at the time and I received a call from my mum, basically along the lines that Chief had gone in to have an operation to replace her knee for arthritis. Um, and so that was the first part of the conversation. I said, oh, I didn't really know this was happening. I didn't know that she really had a problem. And unfortunately, by virtue of complications from the surgery, uh, she developed an infection. And within five or six days of having the operation, unfortunately, it had passed away. And I was obviously devastated at the time. But you know, on reflection, this was, you know, someone who was incredibly important to me, who I didn't really understand what the underlying illness was that led to that. But in, you know, in retrospect, she was a larger lady, but really had not had anything other than surgery offered to her. And, you know, I'm working on the assumption, because she lived in regional Australia, that this was a low volume surgeon in a regional hospital and so there's lots of opportunities for that to get complicated. But, you know, ultimately, why did she need to have a joint replacement done in the first place? And so I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way to treat this disease. And so by virtue of, I think, subconsciously thinking more about my grandmom uh, and what could have happened to her as opposed to succumbing to an unnecessary operation, it may have led me down a path where I focused a lot more on osteoarthritis. I also have obviously a strong personal interest in this because I've got osteoarthritis in multiple joints, including particularly uh, my right knee, which obviously motivates me to do a lot more self-care, but also hopefully develop better treatments. I didn't know you had OA in your right knee. Yep, yep. No, it's been there for a long time. And unfortunately, I do a lot of things to make it worse, um, whether that be high impact activity or unnecessary activities that probably don't necessarily help the underlying process but you know I like to think think I'm still a kid most of the time and I think that gets reflected in some of the activities I do. Thanks for sharing your personal story with our listeners David I know they'll be really interested to hear what sparked your interest in OA and I think the fact that you also have osteoarthritis in your knee makes it easier to emphasize with your patients. So now I want to know what inspires you to do the work that you do now. I draw inspiration from lots of parts of my life and I'm incredibly fortunate to have wonderful people around me to provide that inspiration, including obviously my parents and immediate family, Joe, my wife and the kids. My patients are always an endless source of inspiration and I love chatting to them about both what ails them and also but I think also more importantly what they think should be happening as far as their disease management is concerned. I'm so lucky to be surrounded by a really wonderful group of professionals both in my clinical role as a doctor you know the, the physios, the dietitians, the occupational therapists, orthotists, social workers and others that I have the privilege to work with but particularly uh, my uh, research team who you know, provide me endless sources of questions and inspirations and challenges to further the field. Uh, in addition to a lot of students, both 
my PhD students who I, I love working with, but also medical students that I have the opportunity to supervise, as well as colleagues in the field and collaborators uh, throughout the world. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's a continued source of inspiration. But I guess the other source of inspiration is, you know, my particularly my parents and my grandmother in the back of my head always saying to me, you know, you want to leave a legacy and specifically you want to leave the world a better place. So I think with that inspiration, it keeps me ticking every day. So we've heard more about what inspires you and what makes you tick, but now I want to know what a typical day looks like for you and how you manage to do everything that you do. Now, people will probably think I'm strange already, but just so that I can confirm their theories, my typical day usually starts at about 5 a.m. or shortly before that, and I usually wake up without the benefit of an alarm, and that likely is by virtue of uh, daily habits that started when I was a young kid growing up in a dairy farm uh, that have persisted to this day. I usually like to start in the morning by doing some type of exercise, you know, some cardio exercise or, or weight activity. I usually like to also start the day with making tea, doing a daily plan, doing some meditation. Um, and then my day itself is varied. And, you know, I, I love the fact that every day is different. I'm what you might call a clinician scientist educator. So that means I see patients, I do research and I teach. And every day is usually filled up with different activities that reflect that, whether that be seeing patients in the clinic, on the ward, uh, doing research with my team um, and collaborators around the world and particularly spending a lot of time with students, both PhD and, and also medical students. And I think by virtue of the fact that I turned 50 a couple of years ago, I'm now trying to spend a little bit more time in self-care and particularly, of, obviously, as I reflected on what I did in the mornings, also trying to be at home for dinner with the family each night so that my kids don't go off into the world without having spent a lot of time with their dad. Sounds like a really nice plan and a really nice way to start your mornings. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love it. I love it. And you don't drink coffee? No, no, just tea. I'm a, I'm a simple man. Yeah. What sort of tea do you drink normally? So it's a tea. I was lucky enough to go and spend a little bit of time in Nepal with our second son, Sammy, just before, literally just before COVID broke out. And we were trekking in the Himalayas and specifically um, doing part of the Annapurna Trail. And while we were there, I got introduced to a lemon, ginger and honey tea. And so for the last basically a couple of years since then, I um, have been making that every morning. Very nice. Yeah. Um, when you're not doing your day job, what do you like to do in your spare time, if you have any? I always have lots. I always have lots and lots of spare time. There's no end of no end of hours, no end of hours in the day. But uh, the things I like to do when I'm trying to uh, have some downtime and spend some more time on uh, self care and obviously reflection. I love spending time with my family. More recently, I've taken up mountain biking. I enjoy getting out in the ocean, particularly body surfing um, and kayaking and would regularly try to do a lot of these activities on the weekend. When I can, I love bushwalking and particularly doing uh, long coastal walks. And then in terms of 
interests. I'm a mad sports fan, um, particularly a mad All Blacks rugby fan. And given my son's predisposition, really follow the Sydney Kings basketball team. Um, and when Charlie's playing, also his water polo. And really enjoy playing cards, in particular a game called Hearts. For those of you who know it, that's one of my bad habits, is playing a lot of Hearts, and I enjoy uh, reading as well. But as Vicky's alluding to, I probably don't spend enough time on my spare time activities as I could. Yeah, you could probably spend a bit more time doing some of those activities. Okay, so last question before we get into our questions from the listeners today. So tell us something interesting about you that most people don't know. One thing I love to do, um, again, when I've got a little bit more downtime and it's something that I share with Hannah, our daughter, is doing jigsaws, so really complicated jigsaws, sort of 3,000, 5,000 piece jigsaws. And for those of you who are beer aficionados, my favorite drink outside of a Moscow Mill is a beer called Hefeweizen or, or Weissbier. And I was introduced to that by a, a good German-Austrian friend. Okay, so we might move in to our questions from the listeners now. So the first one comes from Joe. And Joe asks, why do health practitioners avoid simple evidence-based treatments such as weight loss, strength exercises, and reassurance for fancy bells and whistle treatments such as injections, stem cells? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And this is something we're going to try to do more regularly on the shows is to have more listener questions. They do get posted from time to time, but I'd really encourage all the listeners who are out there to send us in questions. We're really happy to take them and hopefully address them as, as we move forward with the program. But Joe, thank you for the question. The answer is complicated. And so I think from a system level, there's lots of reasons why people go for the fancy bells and whistles treatment. And in particular, I think a lot of this to me centers around incentives provided by reimbursement where you can get uh, reimbursed for you know things like MRIs, neoarthroscopies, certain injections, but it's obviously much more challenging to get reimbursed for things like exercise and diet and and those things. Again, from a system perspective, I think it you know one of the barriers here to better care is that evidence takes a long, long time to get implemented, and some studies would suggest sort of seventeen to twenty years from the point of genesis of evidence in a trial to getting to a point where we know that that can be implemented appropriately in care. So there's some system barriers, but in addition, I think there's some individual patient level barriers and clinician barriers that we see there, particularly around challenges with regards getting people to change their behavior over long periods of time. Uh, But in addition, I think a lot of patients desiring that quick fix silver bullet response, which, you know, potentially is not attainable for many of the treatments that we have at the moment. But I really want to, I guess, stress the point that we do have good efficacious treatments for most people with osteoarthritis. And whilst it may not be a magic bullet that fixes you overnight, for most people, they're going to get really good measurable benefit from simple things consistent with what Joe was saying, particularly around uh, strength exercises, education and weight loss. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge for people to stick to 
these sort of behavioral treatments like exercise, diet. Yeah. Well, no one's, no one's uh, ever going to say that it's easy, but the benefits and the rewards that people get from sticking to a program like that are, are really uh, amazing. Okay, next question. So this is from Andy. Have we made any progress towards the national OA plan of setting up a nationwide sports injury program for schools? So thanks, Andy. One of the things we did now a little over a year ago was to to develop what's called a national osteoarthritis strategy. And a, a really key and core component of that was to try to emphasize important aspects around prevention of disease and you know we've done an episode already with Tim Hewitt where we spoke about injury prevention and this is very much centered around that same philosophy so one of I guess the great concerns I've had for many years is that one of the leading reasons why people develop osteoarthritis of the knee specifically um, an important injury to the knee and a tear of cruciate ligament or a tear of their meniscus is oftentimes preventable and in many countries around the world they've instituted these neuromuscular training programs and done so successfully and prevented a lot of these injuries from occurring but unfortunately at a grassroots level in many countries Australia included that hasn't occurred so I'm really happy Andy to say that I think there is movement in this space um, and I'm privileged to be chairing what's called a national injury data committee where Sports Australia are involved, the major sporting codes are involved, the AHW is involved, and it's really about developing a platform and a database to facilitate collection of data uh, so that we can actually measure the impacts of injury prevention programs. It's begun. We're hoping that that will be disseminated and knowledge about that program will uh, be disseminated soon. So watch this space. There's movement occurring, and I'm really, really happy to say that it's Whilst it's taken a long time, I think it's going to lead, hopefully, to something that's really meaningful and beneficial for the community. So the next question comes from Michael. Michael asks, why isn't physiotherapy appropriately funded for knee OA? Yeah, really great question. And I guess consistent with the first question that was asked, reimbursement in care, particularly for osteoarthritis, is incredibly problematic. Um, And so if I look at you know, the relative value of care and the care provided by physios compared to a lot of the other, what I'd call low value care options that are out there and the costs of those, such as opioids, um, viscous supplements, uh, knee arthroscopy for osteoarthritis, uh, physio provides great value. But unfortunately, there is no appropriate reimbursement for relative value care. Um, similarly, there's no reimbursement that's accordant to the quality of care that's delivered. I do, however, think it's important to recognize that uh, despite my being an immense fan of physiotherapy, physical therapy, depending upon where you are in the world, there is still tremendous variation in care and evidence implementation in the physiotherapy world and still a lot of what I'd call passive modalities used, whether that be you know, ultrasound, interferential, massage which you know might make the patient feel a little bit better in the short term or make them believe they feel a little bit better but honestly long term probably doesn't really make anywhere near the difference we would like to see from exercise and other other treatments that we know are a lot more effective so I'd love to see my physiotherapy colleagues get reimbursed a lot better according to the value that they provide. But again, I also caution and reflect upon 
making sure that we optimally provide the best care that we can. Yeah, I think physios definitely have a key role to play in managing someone with OA, but I think the other issue is that there's a lack of training that we receive as well. So not all physios sort of know how to treat OA, how to sort of talk about things like weight loss. I'm pretty sure in uni I had one lecture on OA. I, I know much more about it now, but we don't really learn much about it. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of room for continued improvement of the education and knowledge base for healthcare professionals who are out there. I think, you know, one of the areas that we're really focused on for the next few years is actually developing resources around healthcare professional education, uh, which we're hoping to roll out towards the latter portion of next year. Um, And hopefully that'll begin to make more of a difference because I, I still think at the moment the curriculum for most healthcare professionals is... It's pretty wanton. It's not musculoskeletal focused and it's definitely not osteoarthritis focused. So there's there's big room for improvement. Yep, definitely. Okay, we've got our last question from Hiral. How can we better implement strategies for behavior and lifestyle management, not only for patients with OA, but for those who are at risk for developing OA? Yeah, great and important question. And so thanks for posing it, Harrell. And I guess probably going to go off on a tangent and not necessarily answer your question. But I think if we focus on the general population and what we can do to make a difference, particularly around prevention, as opposed to focusing just on those with disease, I actually think we need to focus very much on particularly policy change. And so this is one of the areas we tried to focus on with the National Osteoarthritis Strategy was very much centered around, okay, so we know the big modifiable risk factors here for the development of disease are injury um, and also overweight and obesity. And so what what can we do about improving both of those? And so that's, you know, why I think from the viewpoint of uh, making change here, we really need to focus on dissemination of knowledge and implementation around what's called neuromuscular training to prevent joint injuries from occurring. Uh, to think about options that where we can increase physical activity and reduce weight in the community and improve food choices and reduce junk food and those sorts of things, which are incredibly important policies and will lead to probably small changes, but to a large segment of the community. And by virtue of that, make a massive difference to this disease. Obviously, we can still make individual behavioral changes but I think from a policy perspective and making large changes from a public health perspective, we actually need to have important policy changes to make a big difference to prevention. Yeah. Okay. So the next segment that we're going to do, it's a new segment that we're introducing. So it's our rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, David, and then you just answer. Sounds good. Yeah. Your favorite movie? Deadpool 2. Dogs or cats? Definitely dogs. Good answer. Your favorite food? Raspberries. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's strange. <laughs> but yeah, I love, I love raspberries. Okay. Do you have a bad habit? I do have a bad habit. I play a lot of this weird card game I was saying called Hearts, and it's a little bit of an addiction. But anyway, we won't talk too much about that. That's not that bad of a habit. <laughs> Could have worse habits, I know. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a drug taker. I don't drink a lot of alcohol. So uh, yeah, 
those sorts of habits are not really going to afflict me. Where do you want to go on holiday next? Look, I would just love to go anywhere overseas, but I particularly love to get back to New Zealand at some point soon and, and see my extended family and spend some, spend some time there, whether it be skiing or in the outdoors and spending some time with some uh, New Zealand folk. Are you planning to go anytime soon now that we've got the... I'm hoping to. I mean, as Vicky's alluding to, there's a bubble that's just opened between Australia and New Zealand um, and our oldest son, Geordie, might be going there in the basketball off-season to play in New Zealand. And if he can, we're hoping to go over there for a couple of weeks at the same time. Very nice. If you could have a superpower, which superpower would you have? I think it would be invisibility. So I could get on and just do whatever I wanted to do without necessarily anybody having to see what I do. So people don't bother you, is that...? No, so I, I mean, I'm, I try to practice being humble and try to practice being invisible most of the time and just yep. get what I need to do done without necessarily any accolades flowing my direction. Got it. What would you do if money wasn't an issue? It's a really good question. And I thought for this for about for at least two seconds and I said, well, I think I'd do what I currently do. I would, you know, I, I love what I do and I think I can make an incredible difference if I had more money and resources to throw at it as well. That's a good, good answer. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Well, I think a lot of people would probably say, you know, and they'd probably expect me to say, go body surfing or go mountain biking in the Pyrenees or wherever it might be. But, um, no, I, I just love doing what I do. Yeah. Okay, so now we'll get into some of our closing questions. How do you continue to learn? So I have lots of sources of stimulus for learning, but I particularly think I learn a lot just by listening to people, in particular patients that I get to see in the clinic. I love engaging with students and colleagues who often challenge me about, you know, oftentimes what would be relatively simple questions I have no idea about, and so that stimulates my learning. And then you know, I read a lot I and mean, I read pretty widely from a number of different fields and uh, I think that really helps me to stay abreast of what's going on and hopefully also apply that to, uh, to osteoarthritis. Is there something that you've read recently that you found particularly engaging and you want to share with our listeners? So some of the things I've been reading recently, um, and this may sound all on a relatively similar theme, but I usually do this as audiobooks in the car on the way to and from work, is Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. I've also recently listened to a book called Range, which was fascinating, uh, by David Epstein, which is a book about generalists, of which I probably consider myself to be one. And then another book, which is more around uh, trying to reduce what I probably don't need to be doing and focus a little bit better on, called Essentialism by uh, Greg McKeon. Very interesting. I'll have to look into those and I'll have to look into the audiobooks as well because I haven't tried those yet. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it's something that I, again, just started during COVID in part because uh, some of my kids wanted me to get an Audible subscription. Um, and so I figured while they were doing it, I, I should probably just uh, jump on and log on. I mean, it's a great way to listen to books where I, you know, I'm pretty time poor. 
uh, but I can do this to and from uh, work in the car. Yeah. Okay. And last question, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be? So I have this image in my mind of footsteps on a beach and the text that would go underneath that is something along the lines of take the first step and we can walk it together. Uh, And it's really just a, I guess, a motivational cue. I think oftentimes when people are struggling with physical activity, struggling to get out and do things, it's often the first step that's the hardest. And in, you know, in whatever way, shape or form, we can help to make that easier. Really happy to do that. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to see more positive billboards out there that are like that, but it might be a while before we get the finances to be able to make that happen. (laughs) Thank you so much, David, for taking the time to uh, chat to our listeners today. And if anyone has any questions, make sure you send those in to our email. It's hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter. Vicky, thank you so much for being the host for the day. Thank you for the privilege for the listeners to chat a little bit about myself. I don't really like talking about myself, but based on a number of requests, we did that. And obviously, really, really happy to take more questions from the audience. That was, that was a lot of fun. So, Vicky, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.